Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first emergency episode of At World's End. Last night, as everyone listening to this knows very well, riots broke out in most large American cities. Uh, they often devolved into looting, burning of cop cars, vandalism. Um, you can go on Twitter and see the sort of sensational pictures for the city of your choice. Many major, many minor. Things ran out of control. Many of these protests have been going for multiple days. The looting sort of began in isolated pockets a few days ago. Now, I have to say, it is extremely widespread. Now, with this, as, as in anything else, you have to go back to the beginning. Where did it start? And it starts, I guess, according to most people, perhaps even actually, with the death of George Floyd. One thing... Most people should be aware of, though I've heard very few people say it, there has been almost universal denouncement from politicians, the general public, the social media world, of the cop that killed George Floyd. He's been charged with murder. You, know, you can sort of go and, and pick around, you know, should they have charged him faster? Should they have let the cops who were responsible go free in the intervening time? Should they have held them pending charges? According to me, yes. You watch a video like that, it, um, it's a very nasty thing. And it's, it's a view of a country that almost no one wants to live in. Now, anyone who's unwilling to recognize that, I think uh, themselves needs to do some soul-searching and realize that there are very few Americans who see that as their country. But there are just about as few who will tolerate Lawless looting. We're going to have to go a little deep into the looting issue, and we will later. But I think the analogy I want to set this whole thing up with is a kind of Titanic situation. Imagine you're on the Titanic. It hits the iceberg. Who do you blame? Generally, you blame the captain or the lookout or somebody on the ship who sailed it into the iceberg. And in this analogy, the iceberg is something like what happened last night. General unrest, mass looting, protests turned to riots, National Guard mobilized in many states, honestly showing no signs of slowing down. That's the iceberg. We've hit the iceberg. Who's in charge? Who's the captain? It's Trump. It's the governors. It's the police chiefs. It's people in charge of law enforcement policy. They need to get their act together, and they need to get a handle on this. That's who you usually blame. But what if there's somebody steering the iceberg into the way of the Titanic also? What if it's a combo situation, and you have people pushing the iceberg in front of the Titanic? then the public is going to have to think fairly hard about who they're going to blame. And I'll tell you what, I'm not sure they blame the person steering the iceberg more than the person steering the Titanic. But I think it's very unlikely that the person of the Titanic is blamed as much hitting a steered iceberg versus hitting an unsteered iceberg. And what happened last night was a steered iceberg. What do I mean steered? I mean 
protests were turned into either by bad actors, Antifa, agents of other countries, disillusioned nihilists, hedonists seeking the thrill after months of quarantine, maybe all of the above. How do you decide to start steering the iceberg? Well, this is going to be the main controversial point in this, or at least one of them. I think the big issue is that the moment with the national mood around the George Floyd death was too united. So the general social punch that people get by doing the protests, the kind of in-your-face, walking traffic, yeah, nonviolent, but in-your-face, sort of, that kind of situation, it didn't exist. It was too universal. Riding my bike around Boston, I saw probably about as many white protesters as black protesters. This was during the day. There wasn't any violence. I think this has a lot to do with the fact that things devolved. Why? Because it's largely inauthentic. The people who, like myself, saw that video and immediately said, there's a problem, that guy needs to be dealt with, the system that allowed that guy to you know, do whatever he's been doing for the last 20 years needs to be dealt with, the fact that cops are often signs of American decay, they're overweight, they're sadistic, their uniforms aren't as good as they used to be, needs to be dealt with. But the racial issue is not an issue that I'm going to have a large part in dealing with for obvious reasons. That particular relationship, I'm not really going to be able to get involved in. And I tell you what, I really think it, it drove people nuts who feel like they've been dealing with this their whole life to have people drive out of Wellesley, Massachusetts in their BMWs and Mercedes park get their signs, get their masks, and go protest in a whole kumbaya mood. I'm not sure you can hear, but it looks like we're the riots are starting up again tonight. We've got sirens blaring, people being deployed. But I think that was a major contributing factor. It was too universalist, too co-opted. We have rebels without a cause going into protests where, in my opinion, they have very little business. They have very little business. And that caused people who were maybe sitting on the iceberg, looking at the ship steaming in, saying, oh, you know, this thing could be a little tight, to hop behind the iceberg and start kicking, pushing it right into the way. That caused that iceberg to start moving in front of the ship from the other side. That caused the looting, the rioting, whatever. One of the questions that has to be asked about what went on last night, and by all indications, uh, what is about to go on again. And I say by all indications, I mean the fact that a Humvee just parked outside my apartment in Boston. It's going to get rough. But the question you got to ask is, what is really behind it? I kind of opened up the show with my reason for why I think the, the protests turned sour. And it is that they were too co-opted, it was too universal, and that the playbook of sort of, you know, identity politics did not have any teeth. 
that was completely universal thing. Trump is on TV denouncing the same person you're protesting. It did not have any really the fire, didn't have the gusto. There was no juice in the idea. Now you'd think, isn't that great? We're a country united against killer cops, against sadistic guys who we all know are in the police department, who are out of control, who are bad at communicating, and get off on, you know, power trips, basically. Cannot, can we not be united against that? Well, we can be, but it does kind of take away this racial argument, right? If, if the country of many races is united against, is sort of in fuck the police mode, you've got a problem if you're saying fuck the police for racial issues. Even if they repeat your mantra back, it somehow doesn't land. There's, uh, Kierkegaard's got a, a line, I, I don't even want to pull it up because we're in emergency mode, but it's essentially making a, a familiar point. The same words can mean everything to one person and be meaningless out of another's mouth. Why? Because they're fake? Because of the color of their skin? Who knows? But that's my theory. What are the other theories? What are the, the main theories? Well, one is basically you had some protests. They're motivated by systemic racism sparked by George Floyd's death. And then they sort of, a list of other names. Okay? And that basically the rioting and looting is unrelated. Not sure I totally buy that. You know, because a lot of people have in one arm the sign... Black Lives Matter, and other arm looted goods. And I don't say that as I saw this on TV. I say this as I saw this probably 50 times last night. But perhaps, perhaps. What's the other theory? The other theory is the protests are ideologically corrupt and that the first brick is enough to turn the mass of people from peaceful Black Lives Matter, which they sort of, you know, footnote is, but we really mean all lives, we just don't say that. Um, Turn that into looting Nike, looting Hermes, looting most of Newberry Street and CVS and, you know, Walgreens. You can sort of look up the list for Boston. It's on the mind because as I'm walking to work, these are the places I see, all boarded up, completely looted. I don't think that's right either. As I said, and I will repeat, I think the problem was it was too universal. And on the one hand, you could say, well, isn't it pathetic that because we were having this nice universal moment, we're all united, we're probably going to get some nice reform bill passed that's not going to do anything, but at least symbolically will be good. Um, Isn't that so nice that we have that? In some ways, I understand the instinct to be like, all right, screw all that. Screw all this. It's not a kumbaya situation. What has occurred, according to the theory of the case, demands a specific group doing a specific thing without everyone else, right? They kind of got to do it on their own. And by they, I'm referring to the racially oppressed groups. That's the they. But then everyone's right around saying, fuck the police. And I think the best way to understand that is go look at an elite university, and look at the kind of language that is thrown around by people there. They generally don't resort to looting and rioting. But they throw around extremely heavy language because they know nothing will ever change. I think it's exactly the same with fuck the police. In Boston, 
The statues of George Washington, Alexander Hamilton, the Civil War Memorial are all vandalized in this way. Fuck 12, fuck the police, Black Lives Matter, all cops are bastards. Familiar refrains at this point. Is every utterance of this phrase, maybe not a year ago, but at least today, coded with exactly the same idea that nothing will actually change? It's just, you say it because you know things are fixed. And out of that, I think you immediately see how looting becomes possible. Not for any ideological reasons, not for sort of malicious communists of infiltrated reason, but just for the pure nihilism of not thinking anything can ever change. And so I think the movement is you go, you protest, you pose in front of the cops, get your shots, you know, you're boom, boom, in solidarity. You see the CVS window just busted open and you say, okay, you know, it doesn't seem like anything's really going to come of fuck 12, fuck the police anyway. Um, Nothing's going to change. We've been sort of doing this our whole lives, protest situation. We just get more and more co-opted. We have some sort of, you know, I think at the back, there's this sense of the finite existence of life, the thrill of doing something rather than nothing. Uh, And the fact that you really sort of can't be in any more of a diminished position, just sort of peacefully protesting, sort of hoping that things change. And so you go loot. I'm not for the looting, but I think that's why it's happening. And that's kind of understandable. And so my advice, number one advice, is unless you're really involved in this situation, I'm not sure the Black Lives Matter Instagram posts the Victoria's Secret models doing a picture of their dog with like a long caption about, you know, how they're involved in the quest for racial justice. I think that might be a little counterproductive. Um, there's a quote that I had to pull out because I think it perfectly sums up the looting thing. I, I relate to it. All humans relate to it. It's exactly the psychological thing that explains this behavior and a lot of behavior. It's from the brothers Karamazov. And the important thing is the Karamazov family has a bit of a reputation of degeneracy, of, of, of falling into things, of uh, substance abuse, I guess we would say today. The line is, because I'm a Karamazov, because when I fall into the abyss, I go straight into it, head down and heels up, and I'm even pleased that I'm falling in just such a humiliating position. And for me, I find it beautiful. Is this not Twitter's reaction? They see chaos and they find it beautiful, not because of the pictures, but because of the actual act of doing it, right? Right in the store, everything. Now, maybe not in every case is it particularly sophisticated. Some people maybe see a busted open store. They want free stuff. I understand that. I think, you know, let's try and answer things at their best. I do think you shouldn't sell this Karamazov element entirely short. I'm not saying you should give into it. I'm just saying I understand the temptation. Now, the Karamazov explanation is what I want to see on CNN, on MSNBC. I'm not seeing that. What I'm seeing on those channels, on Twitter, with the Twitter jokers, you know, usual characters, usual suspects, is what I find an extremely puzzling um, comparison. 
it, it began with sort of the direct comparison because of, you know, bo- being in Boston. People say, well, it's really sort of the Boston Tea Party. So if you go, you go up Newberry Street, it's the shopping street in Boston. Stuff's completely looted. You say, oh, yeah, that's kind of like the Boston Tea Party because I guess they did sort of loot the British, uh, you know, East India Company's tea ship or whatever. So, yeah, you know, I could kind of see. But then you, you go and you think about it. Okay. On how many levels does this not work? Actually, a lot. Let's start with the first level that people have begun to recognize. And so this comparison has become less popular in the last few hours. Uh, you cannot take the tea home if you're part of the Boston Tea Party, right? Everyone knows the famous story. Uh, people who are mad about the tea tax, taxation without representation, want independence from uh, British imperial slash royal tyranny, go onto a ship open up some tea, and dump it into the harbor. Dump it right into Boston Harbor. And there's some great sketches you can go find. We know the story. You can't take the tea home and start brewing it up. Why not? Because the point is not about the good itself. It's the the larger message. Now, we know for a fact that a lot of people are just looting these high-end stores and taking stuff home. Um, I don't think you'll have much disagreement about that. The disagreement is generally like, well... They're not really um, involved in the protests. They don't represent all protesters. Sure, sure. But then why are you saying it's like the Boston Tea Party? Because, you know, you sort of go like, Boston Tea Party, those were the good guys. That's that's our team, right? We're on the side of freedom. Um, so, you know, if you're saying you're not like them and they're the Boston Tea Party, maybe I want to be with them and not with you. You know, maybe I want to get on the looting train too. At least that would sort of be the implication. That's one contradiction. Another important contradiction is, if you sort of buy a, a caricature of the racial picture in the U.S., that is, it's basically black versus white. Maybe you could say it's black plus versus white. Well, so if they're doing Boston Tea Party and they're the Americans, who are the British? Right? If, if white people are the British, if the established order is British, then... You know, you should take that as a warning that stuff is about to get a whole lot rougher, right? The British didn't sign the Peace of Paris because of the Boston Tea Party. The Boston Tea Party was a prelude. And so if, if the looting of Newberry and the vandalizing of our monuments um, is a prelude, that's also not so good. And so you can see why people make the comparison less and less. There's a line from the now infamous Slovenian philosopher Slavoj Žižek that I very much appreciate. Uh, he says, everyone knows Martin Luther King had a dream, but nobody knows what that dream was. And to me, it sums up a half century of sort of racial tensions. And it, it's not that, you know, if Martin Luther King were alive today, you know, you can already hear people rolling their eyes as you begin that sentence, that he would somehow solve all of this. It's that as legal equality between the races was firmly established in the United States, there was no agreement on how to go about dealing with other forms of inequality, violently by destroying the system, violently by pushing for reform, peacefully by pushing for reform. There's lots of strategies, lots of ways to, you know, push for change. And I just think we are seeing an interesting reaction 
to the fact that some of these strategies are defeated by universalism. If everyone agrees with you, your strategy for actual change doesn't work. If Black Lives Matter is a slightly provocative phrase in its origin, because it sort of begs the question, at least to some people, uh, you know, more? Do they matter more? Do they just matter equally? Right? This is sort of the debate. On, in terms of branding, it's important, right? Because it, it draws battle lines and says, you know, we need to even the score up in this certain way. And you're going to have a lot of people who are sympathetic to that. And you're going to have a lot of people who are going to try and sign up. If you remember, uh, about a year ago, I did the episode talking about Harvard's commencement in 2019. And I said the arc of Justice Tonic is being mass-produced by Coca-Cola and mass-distributed. And the elites are trying to get on the anti-elite team. And when that happens with one of my views, I don't want them on my team. And when Black Lives Matter gets all the elites on their team, I'm not sure they want that either. And one of the solutions, maybe organic, maybe organized, was, all right, fine. I'll just you know, loot the crap out of some cities. That'll get them off my team. And it will. Uh, will it stop? I don't know. Will it lead to civil war? I don't know. Does this iceberg sink the Titanic? Or, you know, is it a different world, a different life, where things go differently and happen, sort of, can salvage something? I don't know. But I'm against the virtue signaling. I'm against people padding out their business school applications with extremely low conviction posts, changing the profile picture, absolute virtue signaling. In some ways, if you want to be part of whatever movement is happening right now, I think you got to go loot. And you need to loot big time. And you need to brag about it. And that's how you get your street cred. And if you're not willing to do that, Get the heck off Facebook. Get the heck off Twitter. You're a fake. You're a phony. You're just following the wind. And when it changes, no one's going to want to have you on their team. Now, that sounds like a sort of pro-looting argument. I'll lay out there an old argument, the Hegelian argument, the Marxist argument against the looting. And that is, the problem with looting is you become a looter. It's not that you just destroy the store. It also changes you. And... Whether, you know, you can indulge your Karamazov instincts by going out, rioting, looting, stealing some clothes that probably won't fit, um, I don't know. But, you know, you don't want to be a Karamazov that can't get out of the pit that they, you know, enjoy falling into. Um, that's going to be a tough life to live, and you you know, people are going to have to live it out. On a lighter note, my complaints about the last decade where it seemed like not a lot was happening, um, people often dismissed. It's like, oh, actually, so much happened. And now we're in 2020 when it's looking like an action-packed year. And people are like, oh, yeah, definitely very little happened in the, the previous decade compared to this. And so, you know, I'm going to end with a sort of similar refrain this last time check your chute basically check your chute what's that mean that means check your parachute you're in a plane maybe you're getting you know hitting some flack as you fly over normandy 
and you're getting about ready to jump out. And so, you know, things are getting hairy. The plane might get hit. There might be knots on the ground you're going to have to go deal with. So check your chute and get ready to roll. <laughs> 